So I have, uh, I've grown up a fan or an, and a student of comedy for most of my life. As a child, I, you know, Jerry Lewis, you know, the Dean Martin, Lucille Ball, uh, Carol Burnett show, all of these different things. And as you're learning about those, now I was not alive for those, just so we're clear, okay? Um, I, my child likes to say, Dad, were you born in the 1890s? No, I wasn't. Um, but uh, being a student of comedy, you kind of like to see how, it, how things got started and when comedians talk about like their influences, uh, Jack Benny is a name that comes up. And so there's a, there was a radio show that Jack Benny would do. There was a radio comedy hour. And I remember, like, it's weird because with old school, like, 60s, 70s comedy shows, there would be the long skits, but then there would be, like, these 30-second, like, in-between sketches, little, little jokes, little jabs at things. And the, on the Jack Benny program, there was, between sketches, there was this audio sketch of, um, you could hear these footsteps on, like, a cobblestone, and you hear this, this, this gruff-sounding person go, Hey, Mac, you got a light? And you hear the man say, well, yes, sure, I got a light here. And he goes, hold up, this is a stick up. Give me your money or your life. And there's this pause. And it's good because you can hear the live studio audience laughing because you can clearly know there shouldn't be a pause here. It should be no, no brainer, right? And the, guy, the, the, the bad guy's like, did you hear me? I said your money or your life. And the guy goes, give me a minute, I'm thinking it over and then that's the end of the scene, right? Like, that was it, and it caused so many people to laugh, and I love the, this, this sketch is so brilliant. 30 seconds at the most, maybe 40 seconds, but you will never forget what happened. A man actually chose to think about whether or not he would give his money up in exchange for his life. Like, we think this type of thing is, is strange, it's, it's weird, oh, that's silly, because, you know, you would think in the moment when this guy's getting a gun pointed at him, he'd be like, here, 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 sure, 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 and then he runs or runs away, and he tries to escape, but he stands there to think about it. Your money or your life. They say that the combo for comedy is tragedy plus time. Think of all your favorite comedians. They tell really hard stories, but because enough time has passed, it becomes funny, right? And, and, and that's really the, the formula for comedy because we can relate to those hard things. Now in this nugget, in this 35 second sketch, the inconvenient truth that is revealed is that we have a broken perspective of material possessions and money. We just do. Unfortunately, it's, it's a part of our existence. Like in Jesus's day, you can go further back into Old Testament Israel day. You can go further back to the garden where Adam and Eve walked. You know, it starts in children. I remember um, when, it, when all my wife and I had were our two oldest sons, Zeke and Jude, and I remember there being times I would walk into the, the room they were playing in, and Zeke would have every toy in that room surrounding him, and Jude would have one toy, right? And there would be times that Jude holding this one toy, like this one precious thing, Zeke would see that Jude loved that toy, 
And he'd take one of the toys that he wasn't even caring about and he would take the one that Jude cared about and give it to him and walk back over and sit down. Like, and Jude isn't innocent either because I saw him do the same thing to his brother Malachi when he came along. So this whole idea of mine, it's in us as kids, right? We have a broken perspective on these things. And in Jesus's day, there was to be a group a group of men that were to show Israel how to walk in relationship with God. They were tasked with showing Israel, hey, don't walk in the ways of the other countries around us do. Walk in this way. God is our God. We are his people. They were tasked with this. But rather than developing the people's hearts for God, these Pharisees developed a heart for God's stuff. This is a very tricky, subtle thing, right? Like we say we're about God, but are we about God's blessings more than we're about him? What was happening in this is you see a group of men, instead of longing to know and love God, they were rejoicing over God's things. Not only that, they were supposed to be developing a heart for people, they were developing a heart for stuff. Not only that, they were to be loving God and loving their neighbor. What was being communicated is that they only loved themselves. You can begin to understand why of the 40 parables we have of Jesus, 11 of them deal with material possessions and money. You can see why. When our hearts are so bent towards physical, material possessions and money, Jesus needs to address those things. If Jesus spoke often about this subject, you and I should probably take stock of our lives and pay attention to Jesus's words because he's going after what we think is most important every time he speaks. In Luke's gospel, starting in chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Now, what we are going to do is we're going to do a, a side by side so that you can tell me the clear winner of who is hashtag blessed in this story. You look at the outside, who would you be more likely to believe is blessed by God or cursed? Look at the rich man, right? Can I see it? Can you throw it up there for me so I can see it too? Cool. The rich man, purple clothes. You don't understand how big a deal purple clothing was in that day. It was the finest clothing you could have. It was the hardest to make. It was the most expensive to import. All these elements, purple clothes were his choice. It wasn't just on a special day. It was all the days. Uh, purple clothes uh, and his fancy underwear, that word linens right there, the undergarments, that's really what we're talking about. Dude had fancy underwear. Let's just go there, okay? Because no one says undergarments and linen, linens and things. No, he had fancy underwear, okay? Living in luxury. You just see that word and you just go, mmm. You do. I know you do. Your head and your heart both go, mmm. You see the sand, right? Your feet. You're probably seeing your feet in the ocean. You're seeing, you know, all the different services you can have that come to you. You've got banquets, right? 
fancy tables full of the best foods. And this dude even has a gate, right? You have made it if you live behind a gate in America, right? Like you've got a gate to your driveway, to your house, to your neighborhood. That is big time. Now you look at the poor man. Like Jesus starts with it. There's a poor man. Like that's it. That's what you've got. And he's just laying there. Like who wants that description of themselves? Just laying there, right? This rich man was up partying and living luxurious lives and doing all these things, right? And then you go to the next one covered with sores. Just to throw that in there in the character development, right? Covered with sores. Longing for scraps. Comforted by dogs. So, if I was just to take this to a random person on the street, I would almost say 99% of the time, the rich man, hashtag blessed by God. Right? Like, I, I need you to understand that this, is, this, this thought process comes from some place because the Pharisees actually believe that too. The religious people of the day believe that too. But you know Jesus is setting us up, right? It's like that teacher who always asks that question. And if you're smart as one of those students who already knows that teachers do this thing where they ask the opposite and they're trying to trick you into saying one thing, you're like, I'm ahead of them on this one. You all know where this is going. Verse 22, finally, the poor man died was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. Guys, they did not share the same situation, but something that stands out pretty clearly in this is they shared the, the same end. They both closed their eyes in death. I mean, you just can't help it. Rich or poor, man, we all go through the same door. <laughs> and we have this scenario switch. This would have been a record scratch moment for everyone. This would have been the pump the brakes. Everybody's kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why is it that the rich man's in anguish and now the poor man is sitting next to Abraham? Now, some of your translations, they're the fun ones, say Abraham's bosom. Uh, that just means Abraham's side. It's synonymous for the presence of God, the blessing of God, the joy of eternity. You can go that way and you know that now the rich man is sitting in the presence of God. The rich man is now in anguish. So if you were to read this, at face value, you'd be like, okay, so if I'm rich, I'm going to hell. If I'm poor, I'm going to heaven. Yes! <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that's what, you, that's what some people would think. They'd be like, oh, oh, snap. Right? Is that what is being spoken? Is that what's being spoken here? 
Because, you know, Jesus is saying that Lazarus is in and the rich man is out. And that would have flipped everything for the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed that the rich man was clearly in God's blessing. And the poor man was poor because he was wicked. So he should be ignored by God. But in Jesus' story, the rich man is excluded. The poor man is included. So you and I were faced with a conversation. If it's not just about your status or lack thereof that gains you entrance into eternity, then what is it? You actually have to consider Augustine. It's funny because Augustine would tell this story. He's an early church father. And when I say early church father, it doesn't mean he was dad to a bunch of people. It just means he was an early theologian, teacher, pastor, helper for the church, as it was in the first several hundred years of its existence. So Augustine would talk with people in the city that he, was, that he was pastoring in, and there was a lot of wealth in the city. And so as he would speak Jesus's words about these things, the, the, the people with wealth would immediately get depressed, immediately get fearful. And he was like, whoa, I gotta, I gotta figure out how I'm, how I'm supposed to help them not. And he actually ends up telling them, look, it's not that Jesus is anti-material possessions and wealth. You don't need to fear the possessions, the stuff. You need to fear greed. You don't need to fear possessions. You need to fear being possessed by those things. And unfortunately, and the scripture talks about this, wealthy people have a harder time living that way. It's just a matter of fact. Doreen and I, we traveled um, together in 1999, and we were in urban cities, we were in urban areas, we were in rural areas, we were in rich areas, we were in poor areas, and we went to all 50 states doing this process, this, this um, invitation to call out students to be campus missionaries, and we went to schools and challenged kids to uh, stand up for things that were right and all this different stuff. I kid you not. I could have told you how people were gonna respond based on the economic status of where we were. It was amazing to me. Anytime we went into a place of wealth, dead. Anytime we went to the poorer places, it was this, please, we're so glad you are here to, to work with us. We love, this is such good news to us. I'm telling you, it was insane to physically see these things manifest and show up. It did not mean that every wealthier place we went to did not respond. It just meant it was a lot harder for them to hear they had a need. And that's just the truth of it. So for you and I to understand that he's not just saying rich people go to hell, poor people go to heaven, we just need to jump back a few verses. Jesus actually tells another story in Luke's gospel right here before this one that I think gives us a little insight to why he tells this. But it's the parable of this rich guy who has a manager who he finds out is wasting his money, right? And so the rich man calls the manager in and says, hey, dude, uh, you need to get your things in order. You are about to be fired. And so this manager's like, what? I'm way too old to dig ditches. I'm way too proud to ask for help. So light bulb, I will come up with a way to guarantee that I have friends that will house me when I lose my job. So this, this manager, this shrewd manager, calls these people that owe his boss money. He says, hey, why don't you and I meet? Come here. What do you owe him? Well, I owe, I owe 800 gallons of olive oil. The shrewd manager says, well, let's just scratch that out and make it 400. He says, well, what do you owe? I, well, I owe him a, a thousand bushels of wheat. 
He says, well, let's just scratch that out and make it 800. Jesus says that the rich man actually admires this rascal for his shrewdness. Now, before you go, wait a minute, is Jesus uh, okaying improper business plan? No, he's not, okay? Because he gives us the point. Let Jesus explain some things. It says this in verse 9 of Luke 16. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Money, possessions, used to make friends. And then when everything is gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Both the disciples and the Pharisees are standing there listening to this, and Jesus continues. Verse 13, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Verse 14, here we go. Probably the springboard to why he tells the next one. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all of this and accepted it readily. No. They scoffed at him. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your bank account. Just seeing if you're paying attention. He knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Be careful what you envy in this life. Be very careful what you long for when you scroll through Instagram. Be very careful where you let your heart go when you're watching Discovery Channel. Be very careful when you're watching Home and Garden TV. Be very careful what you envy in this life. Luke knew that the religious leaders were blinded by their love of money. He writes about it the most, right? The people knew the religious leaders were blinded by their love of money because they complained about it. Jesus knew the religious leaders were blinded by their love of money. And more than that, Jesus did not want his disciples to inherit that from them. Jesus wants his followers not to waste their lives. The religious leaders had been tasked to show the people how to walk in relationship with God, and that is the greatest thing a human being can give their life to, to love the one true God and to love their neighbor as they love themselves. That's what it means, Jesus said, to walk with the Lord. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a passage that was quoted by children growing up in Israel. The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That idea that you can have a bunch of idols, a bunch of gods, is dealt with on the front end. The Lord your God is one. There is only one. And with that one God who has rescued you out of Egypt, who has given you and provided for you amidst your complaining and arguing and given you victory after victory after victory and has, get, and has said, you are my people, you're to love him with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. But these men, these Pharisees, had become pros 
at living a life that was obsessed with money, power, and material wealth. This is where we enter into the conversation of materialism. If you look at that three-letter word, ism, it's in the dictionary, I-S-M, you add that to the end of a word, and it becomes a worldview. So it's not just material, it's materialism. And the philosophical materialism is that all that matters is matter, right? Like if you can see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, that's, that's all that matters. That's all that is real. But in the, in the same vein, materialism is this drive, it's this obsession driven by a strong affection to have material and money with little interest or care for ethical or spiritual matters. So you're so driven to have possessions and money that you really don't care right or wrong. You don't care about people, you step on them, you don't, it doesn't matter to you because you live in a material world and you are a material girl. <laughs> or boy. Right? The story goes, there was a man on his deathbed who had three friends. And uh, on his deathbed, he tells his three friends, a, a doctor, a pastor, and a lawyer, all I have to my name is $30,000 and I want to be buried with it. At my funeral, I would like for each of you to take the $10,000 I'm going to give you and I want to be buried with my money. And these three guys were like, what? Okay, I guess we'll do this. So the funeral happens, casket is closed, the three friends go out to get a drink and the doctor says, guys, if we're being honest, I, uh, a bill owed us about $2,000 in medical bills, so I kept two and put 8,000 in the casket. The preacher says, well, um, you know, Bill always complained that our piano was out of tune. I kept 3,000 and put 7,000 in the casket. Yeah. The lawyer says, well, if we're all telling the truth here. I kept my 10,000, I took your 8,000 and your 7,000 and I wrote that man a check for 30,000 and closed his casket. <laughs> Shrewd, material. <laughs> Affection, it doesn't matter who you offend or hurt, you just go for it. You become this driven by money person. It's really hard to see God and to love neighbor, especially when we're blinded by the almighty dollar. Right, like I mean, just practically, if I live with this in view, It's really hard to see anything else, isn't it? Like, can't see God for who he is. Can't see my neighbor for their needs because I'm blinded, right? Like, this isn't just some abstract golden ticket to heaven kind of living. Jesus is actually saying what we do with our life now matters. Truly, we are blinded to him, our need for him, and the needs of others when we serve material possessions. So the religious leaders were in fact teaching something with their lives, it was just the wrong thing. Jesus continues, verse 24, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, 
Remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over from us from there. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in the same place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. As Jesus concludes this story, he has fully revealed the reversal of roles. And it's actually quite shocking to the listeners. The one who was in comfort is now the one in agony. And I don't want you to just pay attention to the role reversals. Pay attention to the envy reversal too, right? This is why I believe we must be warned in what we envy in this life. Because now Lazarus longed for the scraps from the rich man's table. Now for all eternity, the rich man would long for the banquet table Lazarus was sitting at. Side note, and, and I'm not sure if I'm reading too much into this, but I don't think the rich man changed one bit when he woke up in anguish. And I think that because he doesn't even ask Lazarus to come and dip his finger in the water and touch his tongue. He goes, Abraham, Father Abraham. And if I'm Lazarus, I'm like, dude, I'm right here. Why aren't you talking to me? Like, we were neighbors. I wonder if the rich man still hated the poverty Lazarus represented and would only deal with Father Abraham, right? Lazarus didn't say anything, of course, but I, I mean, I, I think this is telling of eternity. Like when we close our eyes in death as we are and what we love, we will open our eyes in eternity loving what we still loved here. It's not gonna be change. That's what Jesus is saying. What we do now communicates where we'll be later. He's gonna say that ultimately with the scripture, but I'm just like, man, to be a rich man still trying to boss people around in hell. I don't think there's gonna be some waiting room that you get to go and work things out in eternity. We close our eyes in death here, we open our eyes there. There's no dragging away. There's no coercing. There's no tricking. What we do in this life really does matter, according to Jesus. Now the rich man changes his focus for just a second, and he leans in and says, well, wait, okay, wait, 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 don't, okay, maybe, maybe you can't help me, but maybe you can help my five living brothers. Go and help them. That'll make sure, that'll, that'll, that'll ease my conscience. It's the old Jacob Marley and Scrooge, like walk, you know, Jacob Marley coming back from the dead, wearing his chains. Oh, Ebenezer, you know, that's the Mickey Mouse version because uh, Jacob Marley was goofy and, and that's how it worked. But he walked around in chains. He's like, now, now I'm forever cursed to walk around in these chains and you should change your life and now the ghosts of three things are going to visit you and it's a crazy story, but I'm pretty sure it was visited from it's this story, right? Like, but Jesus doesn't give Lazarus the freedom to go and do those things. Abraham actually tells him, let's just read it again, but Abraham said, Moses 
and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they'll repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. You would think Abraham would be like, Now you're getting it, rich man. We'll go ahead and take care of that for you. He doesn't. He says, They have the creator of the universe's words about what is most important and they have rejected those words. If they will not hear those words, a story about someone rising from the dead and coming back and warning them, it's not going to produce the change you want it to. It wasn't the exceptional. It was what was already given, but was being ignored. Through this story, we learn the dangers of trusting in our material possessions. Through this story, we learn that mass material possessions does not equal blessing, right? And we also learn that because I don't have a lot doesn't mean I'm cursed. It means I'm dependent upon him for everything. Through this story, we're going to see that the envy and wealth of someone else's stuff is not a good idea. But we also see that what we do with God's word now matters for eternity. This is why we emphasize the study of God's word in our lives, because when we sit with his word, allowing his spirit to address the way we think, we change the way we think about life and money and power and sex and identity and acceptance, even eternal life we have views of eternal life that I've got to have a bunch of stuff and I can do enough good to get myself there, we need to have our minds changed. If we think that somehow because I don't have a lot of stuff, I'm cursed by God, we need to have our minds changed. And that's what Jesus does. The scripture is God's written word to humanity to teach us now that we need wholeness, that we need forgiveness, that we need a savior and that ultimately you and I were made to live forever in his presence. And the way that is made possible is through this heart change depending on Christ's work by faith. The rich man says, oh, but if something spectacular were to happen, that'll get them. He says they'll repent, meaning that they will change their minds about material possessions and the worship of those things, and then they'll turn to God. He says, oh no, they've got the words. They're just not hearing it. This is why the writer of Hebrews warns us, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. And as the band comes and we close this morning, this is the only parable that Jesus names one of the characters. And that name is significant. The name Lazarus means the Lord helps or helped by God. This is the story of all of scripture. I think it's unique that Jesus would use one name in all of his parables and the name of the person that needed him most is Lazarus. The Lord helps. In this story, Lazarus would have been carried to the gate. He would have been cared for by God through people. And what, missed, what this rich man missed was his opportunity to help 
this man. Lazarus was ultimately helped by God into eternity. Lazarus didn't bring anything to the table. He had no great works to boast of, no performances to cheer on. He was laying there, covered in sores. This is what the gospel is for you and me. Each of us, as Lazarus was, are dependent upon God in this life and on him for eternity. This is not a story about rich people going to hell and poor people going to heaven. It's a story about who we're depending on now. Where are you putting your trust? Where are you putting your focus? Where are your affections in this life? We know that this rich man did not love God, and you wanna know why? I can make that judgment call, because he did not love his neighbor. They go together, and it was an obvious outpouring. If you loved God, you loved your neighbor. It's almost like God set this rich man up to hit a home run. He's like, you don't even gotta go looking for needs, I'm gonna bring the needs to your front door. And the fact that you did nothing lets the whole world know what you put your trust in. But then we read in 1 John, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, right? And we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, I love these action words, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid of the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we, we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? Guys, I need you to understand that the believer is not motivated to love other people because we're afraid of the agony of hell. It just isn't what motivates us. It's a practical reality of a life lived trusting in ourselves, but the believer's hope is that the presence of God that we experience now is the presence of God we experience then. John tells us, perfect love casts out all fear, not of the boogeyman, but of judgment. We don't live afraid of this, this separation or this chasm separating us from the blessing of God and only experiencing the wrath and the punishment and the judgment. We live as expectant people because we put our trust in what Christ has done now we will receive in eternity. You and I need to be Lazarus. It should be a word. If it's not, it is now. You've been Lazarus. You've been Lazarus. You've been Lazarus. We need to be helped by God for this life and for the next. Lazarus brought nothing to the table. He was quietly dependent upon God. And if he was gonna sit in God's presence for all eternity, he would need to be dependent on him for that too. Where are you this morning? 
You know where you're at this morning. And Jesus is desiring to see you repent, change your mind about how you think about material possessions and money. Could you be someone who says, because of my love for God, I will see my neighbor. Maybe this morning you need to repent of your love of material possessions and money and all the things because you want all the stuff because it's blinded you from the needs around you. During these worship songs, we'll have some of our elders and their wives standing over here. I'll be standing over here. If you would love for us to help pray with you through this addiction to material and money and all the things that they're there, we'd love to journey that with you. Maybe you have more questions that go beyond just prayer time. Maybe you need to to walk with somebody. How do I get through some of my, my upbringing? And I don't know. That's what the church does. We walk together through that. Father, I ask that in these moments that somehow you would break through our hard hearts. You would break through narratives that we've grown up in, false views of who you are and all the different things that that we walk with, God, would your Holy Spirit speak directly to our hearts this morning? Don't let us be content with just adjusting some outer things. Father, let us give you access to our hearts this morning. It's in your name we pray.